God in unexpected places. This is the Messy Spirituality Podcast. Here's Jason Elam. Carl Forehand is a former pastor. He's an award-winning author of the wonderful book, Apparent Faith, for which he won a 2020 Christian Indie Award. He and his wife, Laura, host the Desert Sanctuary podcast and website. He writes a thought-provoking column for Patheos and somehow finds time in the midst of all of that to be one of my best friends in the world. He is the creative force behind the wildly successful Nomad Conference and Too Many Podcasters online broadcast. He's got a brand new book coming out soon called The Tea Shop, and I can't wait for you to read it. Welcome back to the Messy Spirituality Podcast, Carl Forehand. Wow, what an introduction. I, let's just stop there. <laughs> that's good. So we can just cut that and print it, and that's good, yeah. I'm going to mess it up from here on out. <laughs> I'm just, I'm grateful that you're back. I actually, most times I, I ask an, a guest to supply me with a bio and I'm like, man, I know Carl, I can write this bio. Yeah. So I right. want to do you it right. It <laughs> yeah. yeah, you can write it better than me. Well, brother, <laughs> welcome back. I'm glad to have you back on Messy Spirituality. Thanks. Good to be here. Tell us what you've been up to since the last time we talked. Well, I mean, um, not, a, not a lot is new, I guess. I, we, um, you mentioned too many podcasters. We got together with some podcasters, and that's evolved over time. People kind of rotated in and out with that, and that's a bunch of voices. Um, you were involved with that for a while, and then uh, started a new new job. You know, traveling and doing nuclear work and things like that to try to put bread on the table. I've been writing. I, I'm writing for Patheos, like you mentioned. That's a great fit for me, where they give me enough freedom to to say the crazy things I say, um, to be who I am, and they don't restrict that too much. And at the same time, keeps me in that methodical rhythm of writing. So I've been writing, as you mentioned, wrote the tea shop about 18 months ago, but then also uh, wrote a couple more books that are just in the in the wings and waiting, refining, editing, all that kind of stuff. And But, you know, that's about it. I'm trying to focus on being presence and authenticity. I like to say nowadays, be where you are and be who you are. And my life has kind of started to boil down to just those two things. Be who you are. Be authentic and be where you are, be present. And I think a lot of things will fall into place when you do that. Now, I know we're going to get into this uh, subject matter in a future conversation for another book that you have waiting in the wings, but what does it mean to you to be present? What What is, when you use words like authentic, what does that mean to you? What specifically are you saying when you use those words? When I say, okay, first of all, being present, I think when we talk about the tea shop today, if we talk about the tea shop today, we talk about where I began to understand presence was was in that situation, and where I would go uh, on tasks. I would, if I went to Walmart, it was to get something, to get in, get out, get a good deal, get out of there as quick as I could. But this tea shop experience caused me to slow down. And to be where I am and where, where I feel that on a normal day is, you know, last year I worked most of the year at Lowe's Hardware 
and people would ask me, what's the plan? Where are you, you know, what's this leading to? Where are you going? What's the deal? What's the plan? And I would say my plan for today is to be here. I'm, I'm here. This is what I'm doing. This is where I am. And this is the only place really that I can live is where I am. And, and the more that there is, there's points in your life, there's times when you need to travel ahead and plan a little bit. And there's times when you need to go back and heal. But really the only place you can, you can effectively live is, in, is where you are right now, here and where you are. And then the other part of that is being authentic, being who you are. And that, that comes from my long history of trying to fit in and trying to make up for whatever shortcomings I perceived in myself. Um, but lately, uh, I've been very comfortable with just being who I am, being the way that I'm made and, um, and, and executing. You know, I, there's, there's nothing wrong, I don't, I don't think, you know, with, with, with the, the culture, whatever you find in, to try to be relatable and try to, and, you know, integrate into that. But if you lose your soul in the process, I think then that's a great damage. And I think that's what I did for years is just I became like them. I tried to fit in instead of just being who I, who I am, being authentic and real. And so I, I hope that makes a little bit of sense. Yeah, absolutely. Why, why do you think we've gotten so far away? I mean, you talk about being real and being present and being authentic. I mean, you would think that would be our default setting, but I don't, that hasn't been my experience in the world. Why do you think that we go so far within ourselves and hide who we really are? How did we get in this situation in the first place? Yeah, I think some of it has to do with our ego. I think, you know, we you know, Richard Rohr, the first half of life, there's, there's some value to creating that container and that, that image and that all of those things. And it, and it keeps us safe, it, you know, to have an income, to have, a, you know, an identity and all those things. But I think one of the main things that, that keeps us away from being authentic and being present is just that it's it's easier to go down that road. I, and sometimes I, I don't want this to sound bad, but I, I think sometimes even in our coaching, I did a lot of coaching training for an, another denomination, the denom- my denomination of origin. And it was always, it always came back to strategies, a strategy that was going to make my life easier. And I think what I see Christians doing a lot of times these days is we avoid suffering. We avoid struggle. We just want the easiest path forward. Uh, I think that religion at its core searches for a magical answer. And when we, when we search for that, that magical answer, we want something that's going to get us there with that, without effort, and you even hear that talk, you know, and some of the, some of the energy universe talk, and so on. We we just want to bypass all the suffering. We want to bypass anything that's hard. We don't want to work on our healing. We want to be magically healed. And so, I, I think that that all of that distracts us, and all I think religion distracts us. I think you know, just the way uh, being in the United States. 
thinking that we're exceptional. All of that, all that thinking distracts us from the very simple thing of just being where we are, being who we are. And that doesn't seem like enough, but I, I want to guarantee you it is. It's enough. And when you uh, find the kingdom within you, when you find the divine within you, and, and you're able to set with that and realize that you're already enough, then we can move forward, then we can be authentic, then we can be real, we can be present, and all that stuff is good. It's really good. <laughs> um, I feel like spiritual bypassing has stunted our collective growth for so long, and, and we didn't, I mean, I didn't even know what spiritual bypassing was till I heard you say it during an interview and, and got really uh, interested and started digging it out. Can you explain to our listeners, what does spiritual bypassing mean and what are the effects of it? I would point you to Robert Augustus Masters in his book, um, I think it's called Bypassing or Spiritual Bypassing. That would be the best definition and that's where I heard of it, along with my friend, Dr. Paul Fitzgerald. But um, bypassing is using spiritual language often or spiritual practices to bypass. You know, when we say, when someone says, I'm so, you know, I'm hurting, I'm suffering, and we say things like, well, God's probably got a plan in it. God's in control. Um, you're going to get through it. I'll pray for you. All of those things are bypassing. We're using spiritual language and spiritual practices to avoid in that case, just sitting with the person and saying, yeah, I know that sucks. And I, I would, I, you know, empathy is really just saying me too, right? I've been through that too. That, that sucks that you're going through that. Um, instead, we want to, we want to be the one that prescribed the answer for them, you know, or, or told them the thing that got them through it. But really what gets us through that is going through it together uh, and sitting with each other and saying, yeah, I know what that's like, and I, that sucks, and I'm, I'm with you. Um, I'm standing, I'm sitting with you. But bypassing says, you know, surely there's a magical answer to this, and, and maybe I can give you the right mantra, or maybe I can give you the right uh, words. And, and that just bypasses the problem. And when, and Jason, you know as well as I do, when you bypass problems, they don't go away. They, they just get, uh, like Master says, they get driven deeper within us. And then they break out and behave badly at other times. You know, you'll find yourself in an argument with your spouse years down the road, and you'll say, where did that come from? Well, it came from that we stuffed it down, we bypassed it, We've, we tried to ignore it, and it didn't go away. It, it, it stayed there inside us. That trauma stayed there and it hurt us down the road. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Now, when, when we have these issues that we've stuffed down deep inside, like you're talking about, is there a way for us to deal with them that doesn't result in just blowing up? Because that's typically what I do, right? I just wait until the issue just blows up in order to deal with it. Uh, you're, you use the example of a, an argument between a between spouses. And, you know, we have these issues that, you know, something happened 20 years ago sometimes, and we've just let it fester that whole time until it just explodes. And then everybody wonders what happened to them. Is there a way to deal with those things before it reaches that critical point? I think so. I think what we started to learn with Carl Jung about 100 years ago 
And so remember that. Remember that in, in New Testament times, we didn't have this knowledge. that It's just now un, unfolding. And people like Mark Harris and people we know like that, Dr. Paul Fitzgerald, those guys can, can help us understand this. But we're just beginning to understand it. But the truth is that um, when we have trauma in our life, it stores somewhere in our body. And um, we, what I like is what I learned from this, the sisters in Atchison, Kansas, and from my spiritual director, Dr. Paul, is a process called focusing. And fo- what focusing helps us do, and if you want to go back to Jesus, just look at Jesus who, when he saw the crowds, looked at them with what? Do you remember? Compassion, right? He looked at them with compassion. And and that's the key word in in dealing with your inner child and dealing with past trauma and things that, that are literally stored in your body is to to focus on them, to go back, to look at that, and to be there, not to extract those things that are there because, uh, as Dr. Paul says, those are a part of us. Uh, a part of me feels this way. And that, that emotion, that trauma is still stored there. And the main thing is to look at it with compassion uh, and have compassion on that inner child. I, I hate to, you know, just promote books, but, but my third book is about that. It's about my experience with that shadow where, where I had blown up and reacted to my wife. And, and we were very close to, after 30 years of marriage, uh, being divorced. Um, because that reactionary stuff was coming out of me. But eventually, with the help of spiritual directors, um, I was able to focus, you know, on that inner child, to have compassion for him, and then to shift that trauma and get that place unstuck, because, mainly because of compassion for that, and telling... You know, my inner self, my younger self, whatever you want to call that, uh, I got your back. I, and, and so that's, I try to unpack that in that next book that'll be out sometime. But it's it's that I, I think those kind of things can help uh, with, a, with a good counselor, uh, spiritual director um, that knows that process. They can help you get unstuck, you know. And, and it's like they say, it's like an onion. Sometimes there's more work to be done once you find that. But like I say, you can't avoid the work. You know, we want to be, my, my third book is going to be called Being, and people will like that title. They'll say, yeah, I don't want to just be, like we were talking about a minute ago. But sometimes you can't just be until you do the work, until you get down there and, and do the hard work. And if Laura were here with me, she'd tell you the same thing. Um, there's just, there's work to be done. I'm sorry. You can't bypass it. There's no easy answers. There's no magical mystery. Uh, mysterious. It is mysterious, but there's no magical cure that's going to help you go to the finish line. You got to do the work. Yeah. And that work is so, so, so critical. I don't think we understand how toxic the alternative to having compassion for yourself or for your, you know, your younger self or inner child, because the alternative is, is self-hatred. And that absolutely can destroy not just our own lives, but the lives of the people that 
you know, that we love. Because somebody who doesn't like themselves very much is not going to like anybody else all that much either, or at least people aren't going to feel like they like them. And uh, it has devastating impact. And so, yes, we look at the... Uh, the scope of the work that needs to be done, and it can be absolutely intimidating. But what's the alternative? Yeah, and you, you'll notice um, if if you have shadow issues, which almost I would say almost everybody does. I was going to say, are there people who don't have shadow shadow issues? Yeah, I, I imagine they all have some trauma and things that are. But you'll notice it most in reactionary stuff. You know, you be reactionary when you when you doesn't make any sense, right? or anger that comes out at inappropriate times and things like that. Well, there, there's definitely a lot of work to be done, but, uh, you know, my, my little experience with that is uh, it's been worth it. And uh, there's always another layer to that onion, but I think it does start getting better almost immediately when you engage the work that needs to be done. All right, so you and I have had some in-depth conversations about faith and life in the fishbowl of being a small church pastor. Recently, you wrote an article for Pathios entitled, Don't Call Me Christian. What what brought you to that point where you were willing to say, I am not going to identify with that label anymore? You know, to be honest, I write, when I write, I write, like what I'm thinking right now. And sometimes I don't even remember what it was. And I see a comment on one of the articles and I go, I say, wait a minute, what did I say in there? <laughs> I think that comes out of um, just this thing of as I interact online, as I interact um, social media, and even in my real life, and I encounter people that say they are Christians what I want to see is the fruit of the Spirit. Maybe if you go to a biblical model, I want to see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. <laughs> and, um, you know, to, to be honest in the political world that identifies with the evangelical world and the evangelical people that I meet online and the, the more conservative people that I meet online, the more it seems that people say, I'm a Christian. What I receive from them, especially if I disagree with them, is vitrolic. It's, it's, it's just, it's ugly. And it's not, you know, politics comes first. And you could say that about both sides of the Christian spectrum, you know, politically. But it's politics first. It's I got to be right, and you got to agree with me. It's it's dismissive, you know. They there's people that talk about cancel culture, but Christians are the first to cancel, and they're they're, they're sometimes the first to say um, go somewhere else if you don't like it. You know, we're a Christian nation, which never was true, but I and so. Um, what I'm saying by that, and I, of course, trying to be a little provocative and, and things and titles and so on, but what I'm trying to say is uh, I don't really want that label right now. You know, I'm, you know, I, I'm still going to follow the way of Christ. Uh, that makes sense to me. I still believe in God. Um, there's a divine, there's a, there's a source and energy, and all of that is true. But I don't know if I want to be called a Christian right now because uh, that 
you know, and then you can go back to like Gandhi and people like that said, you know, I like your Christ, but I don't like your Christians. And I, you know, right now, I'd just rather not be identified with that because that's not who I want to be. I know nobody's perfect, and that's the mantra we go back to. Well, well, nobody's perfect, but we can do better, and we can do a lot better than we're doing right now. So for now, I don't want to be called, you know, I don't know if I like that label. Right. I understand that. You, you A couple of weeks after you wrote yours, maybe a week later, I don't remember exactly, but I wrote one on, uh, we kind of had dueling posts there, I think. I know, I know, right? <laughs> and it, sure, that's I not representative that. of our relationship at all. So I thought yeah. it was pretty funny, but, and, and I recommended your article in my article, which was kind of, you know, taking a different perspective, but sure. uh, I, t- I talked about how, um, I, why I am still a Christian or why I do consider myself to still be a Christian. But the reality is reading those two articles, I think I would agree with a greater percentage of the one you wrote than even the one I wrote, uh, which I know is, is a weird thing to think about. But I, I so identify with the heart behind what you wrote, and that's why I shared it as much as I did. I, I really think that it's got some important things for us to think of. I guess I'm... That's exactly how I feel about the word evangelical, but the term Christian has been harder for me to let go of. I'd really rather see that term redeemed and restored into what I think it should mean rather than give up on it and walk away. At the same time, I realize that Christianity as a sect of religion is not God's intention in the first place. Jesus was not a Christian, and there's no record in Scripture that, uh, even in Scripture, which I, you know, struggle with in and of itself, um, that God had any intention of of starting something called Christianity. So at the same time I'm writing this article, I don't know why I defend it the way that I do. But I liked your article a lot, and I'm, I'm glad we got a chance to talk about it. You know, there's nothing wrong with saying, okay, admitting what you admitted that hey that now that that tugged at me a little bit and i want to express this side of it i really want to preserve that redeem it and there's nothing wrong with saying that but when a christian says well you're stupid because you believe that and that's what i tend to get from them um not any real dialogue not anything that's productive or helpful just, you know, just get that, all that stuff. You know what I'm talking about? I do. And it's so infuriating to me. And I'm, I'm saying this about them knowing that I do it too, that when we do stuff like that, when we can't agree and still love each other, when we can't see the image of God within somebody that we disagree with or who takes a, a, a moral, religious, philosophical, spiritual stand that we disagree with, when we do that, we're refuting the faith that we're claiming to fight for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, you know, I posted something the other day. I feel like we've got to come to this point where we can say both can be true. Yes. Donald Trump, Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama, whoever, are beloved of God. There is room in the Father's heart for all of us. And they and also Donald Trump is a terrible president. Both of those things can be true. And I have to be able to say, you know, this person is failing miserably at their job that affects all of us, but 
They are beloved in the heart of God, and I see the image of of, of God within them. Now, yeah, I support the police, but I don't want. I'm not going to be okay with police brutality ever. Right. Right. Yes. Right. I I love and respect the military, but I don't like war, and I'm I don't think we should do it. You know. Yes. Right. So on and so forth. Yeah. That that is such a hard conversation to have in the current culture where everything is just, you know, one way or the other. You're either for us or you're against us. There's no nuance in anything in civil discourse anymore. I, I feel like that's costing us something because we can't, we can't find a middle ground. We can't find any common ground. It's just one way or the other. And either one of those two extreme positions is going to cost us. Um, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. I, th- I think being present and being genuine are a big part of it. All right. So how do you, you, having said that you are foregoing the label of Christian, at least for this season of your life, how do you relate to Jesus right now? I see him um, as as a um, revelation of God, you know, that he was incarnate of God and showed us what God is like. He's the purest example, the purest vision of the divine. And he he laid out a way, the way is what they used to call it. And I'm comfortable in following that way because what he said very clearly about the way was love God and love your neighbor. And if I could do that, I think if if all of us did that, the the world would be better. And also, um, not just that the world would be better, but I, I just think it begins to solve all your issues. Like, what is sin? Well, sin is anything that's not love. You know, what's what's hell? Well, hell's when I live outside of love. It's when I I can't love and I can't be loved. That's hell. You know, why do I create demons of other people's? Because I don't want to change and I don't want to grow and I want to um, make up these demons in my life or imagine that they're out there and they're causing it so I can't love. So so that's what Christ is to me. I I don't know, you know, I, there's still a lot I don't know. You know, when Richard Rohr talks about the universal Christ and I don't even understand all that. But I just know that there's a way, there's a way that I'm drawn to. And I remember Rachel Held Evans talking about being compelled to, to Christ, the way of Christ. And, and that's, that's where I find myself, that that's the clearest picture. You know, in my first book, I talked about how fatherhood was help me understand God, but then that then Christ is that picture, that view that helps me be- best understand the divine, the Father. And, and it's just as simple as that for me. If I could follow the way, if I could, it, you know, conform, that's not a good word, but <laughs> if, I, if I could meld into that, and most of the time I find that in solitude and silence and, and a little bit more mystical places these days. I really love your new book, The Tea Shop. First of all, the cover is brilliant. Uh, Ralph Palindo did an incredible job on that cover. 
but the content is beautiful as well. Tell us why you wrote this book. Well, about two years ago, we traveled to Taiwan to see my son. I had been there once before, but Laura came with me this time. And so this time I had I decided, well, let's be a little more, more organized. Let's, let's, <laughs> let's plan this out. And so I convinced my son to plan it a little bit more. And so we did, and we planned to rent scooters and go down to the south part of the island. It's a little more open. And uh, Taiwan is a tropical island. It's real beautiful. And there's a big gorge there called Taroko Gorge that we wanted to see. And so we rented scooters. And then I had a scooter accident where I hit the wrong brake and went flying over the handlebars and kind of skidded across the Taiwan pavement. And that, so that kind of, you know, wrecked my art itinerary. And, you know, it was financial. We had to pay for the scooter repair and, and all of that. So it kind of messed up our trip, so to speak. But, you know, where we had planned to drive around the top of that gorge and see those tourist spots, instead we had to walk. So we went down deeper in the gorge and got down in the water, put our feet in the water. And there's a whole lot of lessons there that adventures are unplanned. And anyway, that, that led to us going back to the north side of the island, the more populated part where our host was. And we went back and, and Laura just casually about 10 o'clock at night mentioned I'd, I want to get some teapots for the girls as a souvenir and take them back for our, our two adult daughters. And so Tanya, our host, said, jump in the car. That's the way she is. And, and she took us immediately to a tea shop that was probably kind of closed down. It was probably, you know, there was two or three men sitting in there with this tea shop owner. And we came in and decided we, you know, through the interpreter, so we won a teapot, and they began to search around the store, and they found three of them that were kind of alike, and we agreed on them. We started agreeing on price, and so I'm thinking this transaction's wrapped up, and we're ready to go. So we, we did our thing. We got our teapots. Let's go home and go to sleep. I'm tired. And this guy, <clears throat> now we know his name. In the book, I said the man with no name because we didn't know his name, and I don't know that we were ever officially introduced, but he said, sit down and, and have some tea with me. And I, I realized that's kind of a custom because that happened at the chiropractor I went to the time before when I was there. And he said, sit down. And he began to make us tea. And at the same time, he's in, he's macrameing a little rope onto the teapot to keep the lid on. And he just begins to basically share his life with us. He was probably a Buddhist, but that never came up. He wasn't explaining his beliefs. He was just kind of sharing his life with us. He would sh he showed me characters he had written, and when I kind of responded favorably to those, he began to write characters, Chinese characters for us. And I just a lot of things like that happened. Like I would say, I said, you know, what's he writing? And Tanya would say, it's hard to explain, but I know what it is. And he said, I said, is it about us? And he said, yeah, it's about you. And, and so progressively through the night, things like that happened. When he found out we were vegetarian, he, his wife brought us out tofu and some stuff from the back. I guess they had been having dinner and he brought some of that out. 
he would try to find sunflower seeds and peanuts and things he thought we would like. And later on, there was there was some alcohol that he gave us and, and things like that. But just all of these things happen in about an hour and a half to two hours. We're we're in this tea shop, just just kind of mesmerized, or um, I think the word I used was delight. We were just kind of delighting in each other, um, being from different parts of the world, speaking different languages, but kind of delighting in each other. And, and I left the tea shop saying. I just kept saying it over and over to Laura. I said, what just happened? What was that? And it took me about six months to unpack that. And about 18 months ago, I sat down and that was when I took a little bit of time off work and just wrote. And and I wrote what I could glean from that hour and a half in the tea shop. I certainly want everybody to get a copy of the book and read about your experience. But in a nutshell, why did it affect you so deeply, do you think? Well, I think it was, like I said before, the, it was the seed for understanding presence. He, he literally taught me uh, how to just be there, to delight in someone else, um, to love someone else without, without having to convert them or convince them of anything. He taught me about what God you know, where God is, God is within us, you know, and I noticed that in him. I don't know if he noticed that in me, but, but probably the most basic thing was um, learning to be, learning to be present. And that was, that was the, the clearest picture I had ever seen of someone who was very simply, he was just, he was, he was totally there and totally present. Who did you write this book for? Who do you hope will read it? I, I think it's for people um, maybe moving out of a deconstruction or struggling with their faith. It's, it's, to me, it's kind of that second phase of deconstruction. I wrote it while I was you know, coming out of my deconstruction, but not reconstructing anything, not building anything back. It is, it is for uh, folks who want to move forward, who ask the question, you know, that you ask, earlier in this interview, you know, what is presence? What does it feel like? What's it like? And to me, I say that that, that experience in the tea shop showed me, taught me, reinforced, totally I got it after I left the tea shop was, was what's it like to be present? And and why is that important? And how does it change your life? And And all those things are still unpacking for me. Yeah, you know, it's for that. It's for that person. And maybe you're, you know, the the word mystic. You know, uh, Carl Reiner said, you know, the Christian of the future will be a mystic or nothing at all. And that's kind of the first chapter. It's called Into the Mystic. Uh, you want to explore mystic spirituality, which really just means experiencing God directly. If someone wants to do that, if they want to understand what mystical spirituality is. I, not that this is going to tell you everything, but I think it'll introduce you to that idea. And so, yeah, just if you, you're curious, uh, it's it's an easy read. Uh, it's about my journey. It's a story. It's a travel log. It's not deep theological stuff, um, but it is deep in the sense that that I think those principles, those those basic. Uh, principles of presence and authenticity will come through. 
Yeah, I think it's a really important read, but it's it's definitely an easy read. I was able to read it in one sitting, yeah. and I just loved it so much. There's just so much of your heart. There's so much. I loved your first book, and I can see so much of you in Apparent Faith. Mm-hmm. But this, the T Shot book, and then the book that you wrote right after it on being that's the Carl that I know. That's that's the you that you are today. Not just talking about your history and your experiences, but, and I can see so much of how this experience in the tea shop has impacted you. And if, man, if we have half the experience that you had in that tea shop by reading your book, then this book is well worth uh, whatever it costs for us to get it. When can we get the book? When is it going to be available? Well, the best... I can tell you now is I was behind Keith Giles <laughs> <laughs> in his book I saw today up on Amazon. It's it's not quite out yet. I think a couple more weeks for his. He has a date. I can't remember exactly what it is. The 20 something of August. I think it's August 25th. Yeah. And so mine is behind his and uh, Ralph has said early September. So okay. that's what I can tell you at this point. I'd, I'd love to have an exact date, but I don't think it's quite there yet. The cover, the back cover is written. So once the back cover is written, it's usually in the home stretch, just about done. And it's ready to go off um, to Amazon or wherever it goes. It's that mystery land that where all books are printed, right? <laughs> <laughs> So, all right. So we know what you experienced in the tea shop. What do you hope that the readers of your book, The Tea Shop, will gain from the experience of reading it? Yeah, I I hope it'll do for you what it did for me is that it'll open you up to being okay with some mystery, being okay with some mystical experiences. I hope that it just... What it did for me is it, it, it closed that door on having to convince everybody one of something, but and it opened the door of experiencing new things, and that that's not a slippery slope. As I looked at in my deconstruction, there is room for mystery. There is room for um, discovery. And, and the other the other lesson that I kind of wrapped up towards the end of the tea shop is that adventures are unplanned. If we try to orchestrate adventure in our life it ends up like me flat out on a taiwan street with some injuries you know we're it's the the itinerary uh, needs to be relaxed a lot relax our itinerary let mysteries let adventure open up to you Uh, and again just be and be authentic and then uh, i think the way is more is more revealed to you than orchestrated. So adventures are unplanned. It's the little things. It's the mysterious things. And uh, I, I think people are going to love it. I, I hope so. Yeah, I agree with you. They will. Uh, I came away from your book thinking the best aspects of our life are like the kingdom of God. It, it's not something we have to manufacture or make it happen. It's already there. We just seek it out. And life has this way of revealing the best of it in those moments that we aren't expecting. And, and sometimes if we're there, if we're present in that moment, it can change us in ways that we wouldn't have believed if somebody told us the day before. 
just by being present in that moment and going with the flow. And you certainly did that in Taiwan on that adventure. And man, it's still it's still reaping benefits for you. And I know it's going to reap benefits for everybody who reads this book. I'm really, really excited. So what's next for you? What are you working on now? You're always moving on to the next project. I'm not sure yet if that's a good thing or not, but Laura makes that observation. You're just not even done with this and you're working on the next thing. But yeah, the, the third book is called Being, and it's it builds on the work that I do, did right after, you know, the tea shop kind of opened me up, and and then I found some more work to be done. And before I can be, before I can learn to be, that sometimes there's some work to be done. So that Being book is Nora Sophia's editing it, and Mark Harris is writing the foreword for it. And so we're working on that now. I'm trying, you know, personally, I'm trying to find my place in the world as far as making a living and things like that. And so I'm working on that, doing the podcasts. That's that's about it. Laura and I have also written a book about leaving church, but we're going to save that one for a while. <laughs> I'm not sure I'm done sorting that out yet. You can only write so many books, Carl, before my first one. <laughs> there's, there's got to be a limit. <laughs> yeah. and I'm, but I'm sure yours would be a blockbuster. I don't think so, but I appreciate the, the confidence. Man, I, I just love you so much. And I'm so grateful for you and your life and all that you teach us. And all the work that you put into these books, uh, I know that you, you won that Christian Indie Award uh, earlier this year, and I was so happy to see you get the recognition that you so greatly deserve. But I know it didn't come with a million dollar prize, so you're not set for life because you're an award winning author. And I hope folks will go out and buy your books and support your work. Let's talk about Desert Sanctuary Podcast for a minute. You got some guests coming up that you're excited about? Well, we're approaching our hundredth episode. Believe it or not. Wow. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. So we've been just kind of, kind of right now, what we're doing on there is Laura and I are trying to summarize some things like um, 32 years of marriage, uh, raising our children. We, so the current episodes are just Laura and I, and, and I, I, you know, I don't know, maybe everybody thinks this way, but I love my wife and I love her voice, and um, it's it's a little hard to to get her to say what she's thinking. Um, but there's 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 wisdom and gold stuff within Laura, and you know. But her and I, just her and I, saying you know these are the things that happened over the years. We talked about the tea shop in uh, one of them, and. After that, I don't have any plans. I want to do a hundredth episode and um, have some guests on there that have meant a lot to me for the hundredth episode. But beyond that, we haven't haven't made any plans. Well, I'm excited about wherever it goes. And I, I I agree with you. I think Laura's your best guest. Yeah, uh, and I know she's a co-host, but I mean, she just brings so much to that podcast, mm-hmm. and yeah. her voice. I mean, it's just like she has entered into a season of her life, and her voice is just being amplified. And I think that's so important for all of us to hear it. And I'm I'm grateful for her, and I'm I'm grateful for you that you encourage it. She might not like me saying this, but she's fierce. And if if you ever saw her around her children, you would know that. 
<laughs> you know, but um, yeah, she's she's fierce, and I I appreciate love that, and um, I, I keep hoping you know more and more of that will come out. So anyway, well, I I don't want to rush the conversation to a close. Um, could could you just kind of give us some insight on how you're coping? with the COVID pandemic. Right now, so many people are feeling so isolated. I know that you're working kind of far away from home mm-hmm. and uh, you're not with your family. You're not getting to see folks uh, that you're used to seeing on a daily basis. You're kind of in unfamiliar surroundings. I think the country feels that way mm-hmm. to some degree, that we're all in unchartered territory. How, how are you coping during this pandemic? Well, what I, what I keep sensing and what I keep hoping is that we're finding what really matters in this pandemic. You know, it's, it's hard for us to lose income. It's hard for us to lose the things that we love doing, even if that's that we're addicted to going to church and we can't do that. But or maybe we can't have the kids in ballet or whatever anymore or right now, or maybe we decide that's not important anymore. So I, how I'm coping is saying this is a great opportunity to spend time in contemplation, time being with myself, which I love more and more, even though I've always been an introvert, but spending that time with that one question, what's really important? What really matters? What if, if the world if this lasts longer, if the world goes goes further down all around me, what really matters? What do I need to preserve? What can I re-engineer going forward? And those kind of questions, just what drives me to, to write, to reflect, to read. And that, that sustains me, you know, to have that purpose in my life. And I think it's noble, right? I mean, just redesigning your life. Uh, maybe redesigning our world to to do what really matters. We've, we've bypassed, we've, you know, piled so many things on our plate and all those things, but what, what really matters? And so that, that, that's what drives me. And I can spend now hours and hours and hours um, just reflecting, just being, um, just listening. And, and it's, it's good. To me, it's good. So how can our friends listening today engage with you and your work online? What's the easiest way for them to find you? Podcast-wise, you know, go to desert-sanctuary.com. Um, my writing now is most, mostly on Pathios. Um, it's called The Desert Sanctuary. But that, yeah, that'd be good. You, you know, the tea shop, when it comes out, it'll be on Amazon and Barnes & Noble and so on. Um, the previous book is up there. Yeah, just start on Facebook with Carl Forehand, Carl with a K. That's what they call me at work now. And go from there. Um, the Desert Sanctuary has a Facebook page. If you find one thing of mine, you'll probably find the rest of it. <laughs> Friends, we're going to link to all of Carl's social media and his website, his Patheos blog. Uh, we'll link you to Too Many Podcasters as well so you can get in touch with them. I hope that you will follow Carl and his wife, Laura. They're important voices, and I really respect both of them so much. Carl, I love you, brother, and I'm grateful for this time together. Love you too. Thanks, man. 
You've been listening to the Messy Spirituality Podcast. You can find us on Facebook and visit us online at MessySpirituality.org. You can help spread the word about the podcast by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes and sharing links to each episode on your social media. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode.